Welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. I'm J. Paul Frydenmaker, and I am amazed by all you folks who do fundraising, inviting generous people to resource causes all over the world. In the Breakthrough Podcast, we interview high net worth givers globally to listen and learn about how we as fundraisers can do our best work in inviting people to the party. Thank you for listening in. Today, we have James Gow with us from Sydney, Australia, where he is the operations director for Logostore. Logostore is a nonprofit creative children's ministry whose vision is to see children everywhere walking with Jesus. So this episode is dedicated to Logostore, and I truly believe they are one of the best kept secrets in Christian missions. I'm hoping we can change that today in our talk with James. Now, up until 12 years ago, James was in the banking industry. He was on a path toward a dream of living with his wife, men, and their family on a farm outside of Sydney. God had different plans. Listen in as James talks more about his journey of ministry and generosity. James, it's good to be with you. We've had a fun day today. Thank you for having me. It's been great seeing your city. I know. Thank you for hosting me. You have come here to Seattle. We got to uh, visit with one of my friends. We got to go right down to the waterfront, have some fish and chips. Some ice some cream. Ice cream. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you. And then walk it all off. Absolutely. <clears throat> walk through Pike Place Market. It's been wonderful. Well, James, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've got a funny accent, so tell us what that's about and your family and all that stuff. See, people say I've got the funny accent, but I'd say you've got the funny <laughs> accent and I've got the Aussie accent. That's true. Uh, so, yeah, born and raised in Sydney, Australia. Um, uh, married to Min. We've got three children aged from 21 down to 16, uh, all living in Sydney, um, all still living at home, actually, which is a blessing at the moment for us. Um, we spent 15 years living out in rural Australia, which we really love. So I've got a background in agriculture. Um, that was my heart and my passion. I still love agriculture. Um, but about 12 years ago, uh, I started working in full-time ministry in Sydney. So a complete change of course. How was that change of course? Because you were, I know a little bit of your story, and I know that you could have, by worldly standards, you could be leaving a pretty comfortable life right now. In the banking world, you know, you you were on a on a good trajectory. Again, by worldly standards, what in the world happened twelve years ago? Yeah, so it's interesting. I was working for one of the major banks in Australia in the agricultural sector, um, and we'd moved with the bank back to Sydney, and we weren't particularly enjoying it. And I remember having a, a conversation with my best friend on the phone. And I was literally in tears saying, I don't know why we've moved back to the city. The city. This is crazy. Like, we're just not enjoying it. And he was laughing on the other end of the phone saying, oh, but think of the opportunities. The Lord's probably got something in store for you that you've never even considered. And I actually got really cranky with him saying, you've obviously not listened to a word I've said. And he was, oh, no, God's got something in store for you. Well, three months after that, completely out of the blue, uh, a friend of mine invited me to consider managing his creative children's ministry completely unexpected uh, they came for dinner in fact we spent the first half hour of dinner 
telling him and his wife how we were sick of living in the city and we were moving back to the country. I had a job lined up. We had an offer on a house. We were going. And then he said, actually, we were wondering if you'd come and consider managing this children's ministry organisation. Um, he's a creative guy and he was getting bogged down in you know, managing staff and managing budgets and that sort of stuff. And he just didn't want to do that anymore. And he, he was asking me to come and take that on. Uh, I had not seen that coming at all. It was wow. completely blindsided me. Yeah. And it was actually my wife who said about 24 hours after that, um, she said, you know what, we could move to the country. Uh, we could go and chase that career and that would be lovely. I'm sure it'd be, be great. But you'll always be wondering what if. Yeah. So how about we trial this not-for-profit and let's just do it for 12 months and see what happens. Yeah. And that was 12 years ago. Well, and I think <clears throat> on behalf of hundreds of ministry workers and thousands and thousands of children around the world, I want to say thank you to Min. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Min. <laughs> yeah. That is a wonderful story. Now, but here's the catch. How is your salary covered? Because you came into this, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm being hired for a job. Obviously, they have my, the money for well, my salary. Well, you would salary. assume that, wouldn't you? If yeah. someone was offering you a job, you would right. assume that they've got it worked out how they're actually going to employ you and pay for you. Yeah. Um, I received a phone call about three weeks before I was to start this new role from the guy who'd invited me to come and work there saying, oh, there's really good news. We've now worked out how we're going to pay for you. <laughs> again, that was out of left field because, again, I would have assumed that was taken care of. But it had transpired that I'd, I'd met a guy... Uh, so, so when he'd invited me first of all to come and work for them, I said, look, I really don't understand your business model, what you do. Right. And he said, oh, we have this annual gathering that we, we help serve. How about you come to that and you'll, you'll meet some people and you'll start to get a sense of what we're involved in. Yeah. So I took a week's leave from the bank. I flew to Florida where there was this global gathering. There would have been people from, I'm guessing, about 120 different countries there. Like, it was seriously multicultural. I'd never seen anything quite like it. It was like walking into the United Nations. Yeah. And I saw the team that I was being invited to come and work with, I saw them serving in this remarkable way. And this was a movement of people who were all focused on the kingdom. They were all focused on making disciples for Christ through sport and play all over the world in incredible range of contexts. And it blew my mind. And while I was there, I met this guy... I had no idea who he was, but it turned out one of his things he did was own a cotton farm. He was randomly at this gathering. Mm -hmm. And so we just talked about cotton farming because that was my background. We talked about cotton farming for about 20 minutes. And that was all lovely. And we parted ways and just hung out at the conference for the rest of the week. And it was he who then rang my now colleague and mm -hmm. said, I met James in Orlando. I think it's fabulous that you bring him on to free you up to do the creative work. I'll pay his salary for the first 12 months. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. So that's a confirmation from the Lord that I'm on the right track here. And and I think it's just hilarious. You didn't know when you were talking no, about cotton no farming, right? I, no, I didn't know who he was. He turned out to be like a, a funding guy who helps support this movement of sports ministry practitioners. I had no idea who he was. We, we just got talking about cotton that's right. farming. That's right. You didn't know you were doing a fundraising presentation. Exactly right. <laughs> I was completely off guard, which was probably a good thing, right? Probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that there is something magical when somebody comes out of the marketplace and says, I'm going to commit this skill set, right? All this, I'm, I'm pointing at all of you. When you're saying, I'm going to commit this skill set into a nonprofit with the same energy, the same savvy, the same thoughtfulness that I would have done 
over here in the marketplace. I think that's magical. I also think it's magical when people stay in the marketplace. Yeah, totally. Right? Totally, because we need both, right? We need both. Yeah. yeah. And l- let's say it, it has been an incredible journey and tested my faith. Um, so when I first started working at this organization, in the first two months, we didn't have salary to pay the staff. Just that's how it had been managed. It was sort of hand to mouth. Yeah. And I remember praying, saying, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to be... I come out of the banking sector where everything's accounted for. There's budget, there's planning, there's strategy. Yeah. And here I am, I can't even pay the staff. Now, we're not a big team. We've got... Well, I think at the time we probably had seven staff and most yeah. of them are part-time. But I felt pretty bad coming on as the operations guy and not being able to pay anyone. Right. Now, the Lord provided, we worked through that. And since then, we've never been in a in a position like that ever since. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that because I otherwise I don't know how I'd be going. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely. hard. Absolutely. So it's been challenging, but it's been great. Yeah. Talk to me about, so you've been in this position now where you've had to do fundraising, yeah. but you do it differently. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but outside of the, of the gift that paid your salary for the first year, what's one of your favorite memories of a gift that was given, no matter the size, anything, one of your favorite memories? Uh, we were working on a project not long after I started, it was probably in the first 18 months of when I'd started, we were working on a project where we were essentially trying to work out how we could teach kids a life skill. So it could be cooking or media or um, anything like that. How, how do we teach them a life skill and incorporate the gospel into that? So so their life skill isn't a, a Monday to Saturday thing and then the gospel's on Sunday. The life skill and the gospel are all woven together. So we were trying to get this model up and running. It's called Kids Hubs. Um, and we wanted to trial it in India. And I remember having a conversation with a colleague saying, okay, we've got this budget together. We've got a team. Some of our team are going to India. We've got a, you know, the overall budget to get this thing up and going in the first 12 months, I think was about 180000 which is what we pegged it at. Now, interestingly, as the project sort of got legs and got going, that paired back to about 140000 And I remember we had 70000 committed to it. And we we're coming up to the end of the financial year I'm like, Lord, we're only sort of halfway there. I don't know how this is going to play out. It might be one of those projects that we just have to wind down because we seriously don't have the capacity to fund it. Anyway, so I was praying through this and a few days later, this guy wandered into the office who I knew. He was a, a family friend. I'd known him for years, but he was also a, you know, he was connected to our organization. He'd supported on and off. Okay. And so he just got chatting and we were just chatting about my new role there and how was it going. I was sort of 12 or 18 months into it. What would it look like? And um, literally as he was leaving, he was walking down the stairs at the back of the office and he, and he stopped me too and he goes, oh, by the way, how's that thing in India you're going with the, the media and the teaching kids life skill? I said, oh, kids hubs. Yeah. I said, yeah, it's going well. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. He said, oh, what about your finance? How are you going? And I said, oh, look, we've probably raised about half of what we need. And he goes, right, so what do you need? And I said, oh, probably about 70 grand. He said, right, I'll send you a check tomorrow. And then he just turned and walked down wow. the stairs. And that was it. I, was, I remember standing at the top of the stairs going, oh, wow, okay, I've just been humbled, Lord. You've had this right. completely under control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, it's not to say that I want to get into those situations all the time. We try and not, not to yeah. manage into those situations, but the Lord provides, right? If it's, yeah. if it's what he wants to happen, it'll happen. Yes. Now, you've done fundraising in Australia. You've done fundraising in the US, probably other places, I'm assuming, what is unique about doing it in Australia? What are some things 
that are quite different from maybe what you've done in the US? Well, in many ways, it's it's possibly similar, but it's just because I live in Australia and have personal relationships with okay. people that, and I'm there on the ground, I can do things a little bit differently. So, well, let me let me create some context. First of all, Australia's only got quite a small population relative to the US, right? So we've probably got, I'm guessing, 26 million people in the country. So less than 10% of the US population, which means... When you, when you start to say, well, who wants to give to gospel work, that pool is pretty small. And then when you say, well, who are the high net worth potential givers, that's an even smaller pool. So it's quite a limited pool of people who are going to give to kingdom work in Australia. And as you could appreciate, they're getting called on to do a multitude of things. Like every Christian organization knows the top givers and they're all calling on them all the time. Now, that's not to say that doesn't happen in the US, but it's possibly more intense in Australia purely because of population size or lack of population size. So you've possibly, and again, I'm just saying this from my own experience in Australia, I don't know if I've never tested it, but you possibly have to be a little bit more specific and nuanced in your ask okay? and, and really find out what is the donor actually interested in, more so than you would in, a, in the US possibly. I, I'm, again, I don't know if I've got nothing to back that up apart from my own experience in Australia, where you do have to be fairly specific. Yeah. Now, one of the things I'm incredibly grateful for is that our model of operating in our organisation is completely upside down. And that's quite attractive to people, where yeah. they sort of, you can see them pause and second and go, hang on, you better tell me more about that. And it immediately pick, pricks up people's interest. Yeah. Because we are operating differently to just about any other organization I could think of. So what does that mean? Talk a little more specifically upside down operationally and, and maybe programmatically, but also you, you got challenged to operate upside down in your fundraising. Yeah, yeah. So what does all that mean? So let me start with operational because that sort of sets the context. Um, and this, this was happening before I joined the organization. So I take no credit for this. This is my colleague sort of thinking and praying through this and experience too, but it's really... If we're going to make an impact for the kingdom, how do we multiply things and share things? And if you look at the scriptures, it's interesting, you don't see any hint of copyright anywhere. So what if we give everything away for nothing? What would that look like? And then if, if we give everything away for nothing, and so it spreads, hypothetically, if that was to happen, how would we control that? Well, you can't. So let's not even try and control it. Let's let Whatever we produce, whatever our IP is, let's give it freely and let's actually encourage people to take it and shape it and change it for their context. We're not going to check up on them. There's no reporting back that they are, there's no mandate for them to report back on how they're using our, what comes from our office. But let's encourage them to take it, contextualize it, and then possibly share it with other people in the network. And so this thing spreads like a fire. If you talk to a philanthropic business person, 95% of the time that will be completely counterintuitive to how they've operated their own business, right. where it's all about marketing and brand and protecting the asset, which is, is all good, right? In the secular yeah. space, you have to do that to, to make your business thrive. So that's, there's no problem with that. It's just that we thought from a ministry point of view, that's not how Jesus operated. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you read the book of Acts and Apostle Paul traveling around and then his epistles... When you're sharing the gospel, there's no sense of ownership or control. It's more about, here's the gospel. I'm now moving on. I'll send you a letter of encouragement, or I might come back and visit you to see how you're going, and I'll check up on you and just check in with you to right. encourage you. But otherwise, just get amongst it. Yeah. 
And that's pretty much how we operate, right? So we serve all over the world where we're invited and we come with, Lord willing, a, a position of humility and we say, we don't have the answers for what's going on in your context, but let's help you think through how you can share the gospel with kids. What's that look like in your context? What do you have? What assets do you have? Yeah. Um, and then let's help you think through creatively what you could be doing to share the gospel. Yeah. So immediately the, the, the locals are creating whatever they need in their language, in their context, and they, you know, they write things and they come up with things that we would never think of in our Western context. Uh, and that's super powerful because then it, it does spread in their context and even might spread into neighbouring countries in the region where they go, wow, you know, this is written in Arabic for the first time. They've, we've got a source resource in Arabic for Arabs. And so it spread. So we did a job in Lebanon years ago where the guy had invited people from Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Lebanon to specifically write curriculum for children's and youth ministry. And he said to us, he said, you know, this is the first time we have ever had Christian ministry resources for the younger generation written in Arabic for Arabs. And he told us later, he said, the consequence, the outworking of that, it spread like a fire right across Northern Africa. He had people in Italy contacting him and saying, we've got all these immigrants turning up from the north of Africa on our beaches. We don't know how to care for them. We've heard you've got resources in Arabic for Arabs. Can you send them to us? So these are gospel resources for children, you know, sharing the gospel with kids. And they'd written them. Now, we'd, we'd facilitated the process and they spread all over that region of the world. Quite extraordinary. And, you know, we could never have written something in our office in Sydney that did the same thing. Not right. a chance. So that's sort of the context. And so as a consequence of that, we've now applied that thinking to our fundraising where <laughs> we, were, we were actually... But it, was, it didn't happen right away. No, no, Jay Paul's yeah. laughing because there's, there's background in this. So about 10 years ago, we started a fundraising lunch in the city, in Sydney. And we invited Christian businessmen and women to come. And, and it started out with 70 people. I think at its peak, we've had 205, maybe 210 people come. And as a fundraising lunch, you know, we have a guest speaker... Then we share for about half an hour, 40 minutes of what we're up to. And then at the end, there's this 10 minutes of awkwardness where we play pretty background music and we say, okay, now's the time to scan the QR code on the screen or get your checkbook out or put down your credit card details. There's an envelope on the table and put it all into that. And thanks very much for coming. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, about 18 months ago, we're chatting to a donor and not even a super wealthy donor, just someone who's been faithful in praying for us and supporting us off and on. And she said, you know, you guys do everything upside down. That's what I love about you. You know, it's completely counterintuitive to how you how everyone else operates, except for when it comes to your lunch. You do these lunches like every other fundraiser. Yeah. She said, why do you ask us for money? <laughs> I remember taking a gulp and going, you know, you're right, but gosh, that's a painful thing to think about. Yeah. And so we had a number of conversations in the office about, okay, if we're serious about this, what's it look like? Mm-hmm. And so last year, for the first time, and what was interesting, this decision took place after the invitations for the lunch had gone out. So the invitations went out. It said, annual fundraising lunch, come along. We had 200 people turn up. Mm. And the first thing I did at lunch was stand up and share what I've just shared here about how we were challenged. And I said, so today, we're not actually going to ask you for your money. Sure, there, there's an opportunity for give. If you want to give, you can see there's a response slip on the table, but we're not going to have that 10 minutes at the end of the lunch. We want you to be here to be encouraged in what the Lord's doing. Nice. Now, couple of things. I went and stood at the door at the end of the lunch just to say thank you to people who came. And one lady said, oh, she said, thanks so much for doing that. It's fabulous. Um, 
you know, my husband couldn't be here and we'd like to decide these things together. So now I can go home and share with him and then we'll, we'll give. So they ended up giving double what they normally give. Wow. And then an, another gentleman walked out and he was sort of shaking his head in frustration. He said, oh, look, I wish, James, that you'd given me that five or ten minutes. And I said, oh, why is that? <laughs> he said, well, now I'll go home and there'll be, you know, there'll be six different forms on my kitchen bench from all different Christian organisations all wanting money. He said, I don't know which one to give. If you give me ten minutes, I would have just written it out. Yeah. I said, well, isn't that fantastic? You got ten, you, know, you got six different options there. Yeah. Um, I said, to be honest, if they're all kingdom things, just pick one and give to it. Like if it's if it's Logistore, if it's us, yeah, that's great. But equally, if it's another reputable Christian kingdom focused organisation, give to that. Like I don't care. It's all the Lord's money. Right. And he sort of took this backward step, and sort of you could sort of see him trying to process that as he walked off. But. The, the outcome of that was that last year we actually raised more in Australia than we've ever raised. And I don't know Amazing. if it was specifically related to that lunch, but I'm convinced there was, there was some sort of impact there where people valued the fact that the lunch was not a focus on funding. It yeah. wasn't, okay, we've pulled your emotional strings now, there's time to give. Right. It's more, okay, we shared what the Lord's doing. Pray about it. Think about it. Take your time. Right. Um, yeah, so... Anyway, it was a joy. So this year we've got to the point where the, the invitation doesn't even say fundraising on it. It just says come to a lunch. Yeah. And we want to share what the Lord's doing. Yeah, I love it. So. I love it. I think that's so well done. And I think that there's an element of when you eliminate some of the confusion, fears, questions that donors have coming into an event like that, what remains is trust. Yeah, correct. They trust you. Yeah, yeah. I think they see that. They can see in who we are. We're genuine about it. And I've, I've had conversations with people before where they'll say, hey, you're traveling financially. And I'll be honest and I'll say, you know what? Right at the moment, we've got cash in the bank. We can pay for our projects. Yeah. Um, and I had one guy who, who I said that to and he paused and he said, you know what? No one has ever said that to me before. Right. And I said, look, to be honest, um, if you've got another organization you believe could do with your financial support at the moment, then give to them. I said, not to say that we'll never come knocking on your door again. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, he finished the phone call by saying, look, the money's there. I will give it to other people, but I also got some reserves. So if you need it, you call me straight away. That's great. So, yeah, That's and that great. builds trust, right? Yeah, it builds trust. And I mean, again, it is highly unusual that somebody would get that response. You know, I mean, that's just, who does that? You know, when I came into this role at Logistore, I'd never done it before. I'd never mm -hmm. done fundraising before. Yeah. But I walked into an organization whose posture was very much one of humility. This is all the Lord's work. It's yeah. not about us, our brand. And so I guess my whole fundraising career has been in this space. So mm -hmm. to me, it's not unusual. Yeah. That's good. Um, it would be unusual yeah. for me now to step into another organization that is all about brand and social media awareness and all that sort of stuff. We just don't do that. Right. But you do You do have a brand. It's just a different well, we do, experience but, for people. Well, interestingly, and one of the things I say at the lunch, it's, it's quite ironic. The most times people would ever see our brand is when they come to our lunch and they see a banner there just basically, <laughs> yeah. basically so they can find what room we're in yeah. at, the, at the hotel where we're having the function. That's right. Um, and we send newsletters out that have our brand on it. But interestingly, as we travel the world and do projects, the majority of the people have absolutely no idea that our organization exists. They just know that one of our team members turn up and it's a personal thing. It's it's Roy or it's Liz or it's Libby. It's someone on our team. They don't even know Logistore exists, Yeah, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Because this is about the kingdom. This is not about our organization. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. have you got time for a funny story on I that? I sure do. So we did a job in the Middle East 
in quite a restricted country a number of years ago where we're invited to help the underground church think about how they could be reaching out to their community through sports and play and reaching children. And so two of our team members, uh, Roy and Viv, they went and spent time living uh, with this family there in this restricted country and they attended their underground church and you know, saw their places of work and worship and it was, it was quite an interesting week for them. And quite productive. Anyway, about three months later, I had opportunity, I happened to be somewhere where I had opportunity to meet the lady who'd hosted Roy and Viv in her home. And I said, look, would you be willing to just go face to camera for me and just explain what the difference of Roy and Viv's experience, what that's made for you and your your team members there in your country? And she said, yeah, that'd be fabulous. I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, so obviously, we want to do it from a security point of view, sensitive, and so I didn't use her name and that sort of thing. But as she sat down, I said, look, when you're talking, don't mention Roy and Viv because no one will know who Roy and Viv are, the people who are watching this video. Right. Mention Logist, like if you've got to talk about them, talk about Logistore. And she said, oh, okay, sure. And then she paused and she looked at me with this weird look and she goes, what is Logistore? <laughs> She'd never heard of us. So Roy and Viv had been invited by her into her home meet her family, live with her family for a week, go to her place of worship, go to her workplace, all this sort of stuff for a week. They had not mentioned Logistore once. She had no idea we even existed. She just knew Roy and Viv turned up and helped her think creatively about kids' ministry. That's it was amazing. Great. And That's we great. rejoiced in that. That was quite cool. And appropriately, we're dedicating this episode to Logostore. <laughs> oh, thank you. Which probably makes sense. <laughs> but But give us the, you know... I mean, it's the classic elevator speech, right? When, when you have... Could be a really long elevator 45, yeah. <laughs> When you have 45 seconds or, or 90 seconds to, you know, sit next to somebody on the plane, that's probably the, the most sure. realistic, yeah. If it's a flight from Australia, it means I've got 16 hours to You've get the elevator speech. You've got 16 hours to do it. That's right. So, but, you know, it's that. So tell me what you do. How yeah. do you respond? Yeah, so... We're a creative children's ministry organization. Our vision is to see children everywhere walking with Jesus, in, in relationship with Jesus. Um, historically, that was Logistore itself doing puppet shows, um, writing and producing and selling Sunday school curriculum. And then we started to be involved in the global sports ministry movement, which I always think is hilarious because none of our team are sporty. But we started to think about children's sport and play and what that looks like and it's transpired that over the last 15 years or so we've sort of morphed into an organization where we actually help other people think about what they're doing in their context so the locals are far better placed to do kids ministry than we are we can't you know i'm in seattle right i don't understand the culture of seattle but you do so it'd be better for me to say jay paul how can we help you reach out to your community what's that look like We've got creative process that might just make you think about things in a different way that you haven't done before. We've seen models in different contexts all over the world. Bits and pieces of that may work here. So let's help you think through what works in your context. Um, and in other parts of the world, you know, obviously we don't even speak their language. So how are we going to possibly write curriculum or do kids' ministry ourselves? It's better for us to be able to train and equip other people to do it. So that's what we do now. We're a training and equipping yeah. organisation helping people think through strategy of how they do kids' ministry. Yeah. And that was more than 45 seconds, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. And one of the things that I have personally experienced in this 
is we're looking at bringing Journey of Generosity resources to kids all over the world. We're calling it Generous Generations. Mm-hmm. And Logos Door and the Global Children's Forum and the, the Sports Network, you all are, are actually helping us to create these resources that are eventually going to go out to these networks all over the world. Yeah. Open source, shared freely. Yep. And and created in a global context too. Created so, in a global so context. So not created by you and I sitting in our Western comfortable civilization, but created by people who are living in all sorts of different contexts. Yeah. Syria, Brazil, Egypt, Ghana, Australia. It is literally mind-blowing to me that, that we're able to do that. So... Yeah, Thank so it, no, that's fine. I mean, the exciting thing there is when you create something with the end in mind. So you want this to be a global resource. If you right. create it with a global team, it's going to have street cred as soon as it's finished because people are going to go, yeah, we had a hand in creating that. Yep. That's for West Africa. And the Indians are going to go, yeah, we had a hand in that. That's for India. So it's <laughs> it's going to go global straight away. It's, it's exciting. It yeah. is very exciting. James, thank you so much for coming to Seattle. Thank you for having me. It's been fabulous. We had some rain. We had some sunshine. We had a good day. And some ice cream. And some ice cream. And it's been fun to interview you on the podcast. Jay Paul, thank you very much for having me. The Breakthrough Podcast is produced by myself, Jay Paul Frydenmaker. Special thanks to James Gow for visiting me in Seattle and taking time to share his story with us. Please be sure to check out the links to Logo Store and their special ministry in the show notes. And may you break through to radical generosity in your efforts to invite people to join your cause. Mm-hmm.